jump right in. St. Augustine said this in A.D. 418. It'll be on the screen for you. He said, during this earthly pilgrimage, our life cannot be free from temptation. For none of us comes to know ourselves except through the experience of temptation. Nor can we be crowned until we have come through victorious. Nor can we be victorious until we have been in battle. Our fight, nor fight our battles unless we have an enemy and temptations to overcome. Anybody resonate with that? I know I do. Anybody face a temptation this week? You can be honest in church. Give me a yeah. (laughs) I did. I know you did. We all do. There's this thing that levels the playing field for every single one of us as we walk through this life as followers of Jesus in a culture that would prefer that we not be. Are you aware that the culture you live in would prefer that you not be? Yes, other scriptures would say we wrestle not against flesh and blood. See, because the the people that are against us aren't actually who's against us, right? Scripture says we don't wrestle against people. We wrestle against the prince and the power of the darkness of this age, right? Who we cannot what? See. Alright, today in the scriptures, in uh, John chapter 3, if you have a Bible, meet me there, John chapter 3, we're going to meet a guy named Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? Before we even read part of the story, I want you to think about who this guy is. Nicodemus was a very religious man. Nicodemus was a guy who had scheduled prayers multiple times a day and wouldn't miss them. Nicodemus was a guy who had a strict adherence To a large set of rules that would shape his morality. He was a good guy. Nicodemus was an older man. He would have been considered quite wise. Nicodemus was an elite member of a Jewish society. He was a Pharisee. He was a man of privilege. He was an educated, wealthy Bible scholar. That's who Nicodemus was. And I bring that up to you today because Nick's story, can I call him Nick? Are you okay with that? Is that going to blow up like all of your faith from being a child? Like he's not Nick, it's Nicodemus, it's Nick, okay? It's going to be Nick today. But Nick's story is many of our story. A lot of you... It's not all of your story, but a lot of you have this story. I grew up in church. I did all the things I was supposed to do in church. And yet I got to the end of that experience and didn't feel any closer to Jesus than when I started. In fact, maybe when you were a kid, you felt a lot closer to Jesus than you do now. Nicodemus was a religious man. St. Augustine had the audacity to believe that there was more to life than what we could see. That there was, in fact, a battle raging in a world we can't see, but that we most certainly experience. Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus, I think was wrestling with that kind of thing and yet was after something apparently totally wrong. Nick was as religious as they come and he still missed the mark. Be honest with you, that's concerning to me as a pastor. 
It's concerning to me as a dad. It's concerning to me as a husband that you could do all the things and miss the thing. In fact, I think that's probably more accurate for a lot of us than maybe we'd like to admit, me included. And yet, there's hope. There's always hope. It's not all bad news, but we've got to walk through the bad news to get to the good news, don't we? There is hope, but that hope, and here's the rub, doesn't come from your own self. And I think that is what we're going to see in the story of Nicodemus. And honestly, it's the ultimate sin in our secular moment. But hear me out. You aren't the answer to your problems. You have a role to play, to be sure. But you are not the answer to your problems, contrary to popular opinion. But let's dive in. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus when? Talk to me. At night. Come on, Nick. He had to come by the cover of night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And don't you just love a good answer from Jesus? He doesn't answer the question at all. In fact, he just goes somewhere totally different. And I think that's on purpose. Nicodemus comes honestly playing a little politics in the middle of the night. You know, Jesus, you're doing some good things. We're doing some good things. We can help each other and we can have more power than we ever dreamed we could have. And look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him, just put yourself in his shoes. This, this is not your average guy seeking Jesus in the middle of the night. This is a guy who knew his scriptures, his Old Testament, could teach them pretty well, and had the list down and was doing it. He wasn't struggling with his quiet time, let's put it that way. That's not who Nick was. And listen to what Jesus said to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What an answer to a guy who had the answers. Right? What an answer. Or maybe it was just a crazy answer. One or the other. But Nicodemus... Follow me. Nicodemus was the first person in history to ever be said to, you have to be born again. You must be born again. This is significant because for those of us who have also been Christians for a while, who have also been in church for a while, who have also been following Jesus, what that means is to be born again does not mean to be more religious. Okay? Nicodemus is the guy who had all the religion and he comes to Jesus and is like, tell me more. You're clearly doing some things that nobody else is doing. And rather than talk to him about what he's been doing, Jesus says, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they've been born again. It's crazy. And yet it's exactly what he was trying to do. But for sure, what it means 
is it does not mean to be more religious. You couldn't find a more religious human. So whatever born again Christian means, we know it doesn't mean more performance based Christianity. But listen to me, for many of us in that moment, our Christianity falls apart. If following Jesus doesn't mean doing X, Y, and Z, I don't know if you'd be honest enough, our Christianity would fall apart. I'm not talking about what you believe theologically, okay? We're going to set that box aside. I'm talking about how you live your life. We could look at it from the opposite direction. When do you feel most guilty about your walk with Jesus? When you're not doing what you're supposed to do, right? When do you, when, when you think about God, what's the first picture that pops into your head? If it's disappointment, we have, we're, we're on the wrong field. God is wholly other. And so what he's doing with Nicodemus is saying, everything that you've brought to this conversation is useless to get you into the kingdom of God. Interesting. Interesting for us. Now notice Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because Nicodemus, listen to me, is not at the end of his rope. Nicodemus does not need a lot of help. Okay, like there's a lot more parallels to where Nicodemus is at with where we're at today. He has a lot of answers. He has a lot of knowledge. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of all the things you would want to have. He's a revered man. He has power and position and privilege and he has all of those things. And yet here's Jesus when Nicodemus comes to him to play a little backdoor politics and see what he can get out of Jesus. Here's Jesus confronting him with what turns out to be perhaps the greatest question, greatest statement. He could have ever made to Nicodemus and for some of us. So what then does it mean to be born again? Right? Because Nicodemus answers in a very fleshly way. But what does it mean? The Greek word for born again is anothen. And what's cool about this word is it actually means two things. And we do this all the time. uh, Because anothen, the Greek word for born again, can mean from above or again. It means both of those things, and I think Jesus is doing that on purpose here, okay? Jesus is using this word to strategically move Nicodemus' heart into two places, and he's going to confront him on some stuff. But we do this all the time. Think, think, think about it. Think about the word like, nailed it. What comes to mind when I say, nailed it, right? Like, I could physically go to a wall and nail something in, and I'd be like, oh, I nailed it in. I nailed it up there. And you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. But what probably came to your mind wasn't what it actually means, right? Like nailing something to a wall. What you probably heard in yourself was like, perfect. I got it. I nailed it. I did that performance and I nailed it, right? I went on the field and I nailed it. I took that test and I nailed it. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we actually do this with language all the time. And what Jesus comes here and tells Nicodemus is two incredibly important things. Two incredibly important things about Nicodemus and two incredibly important things about the kingdom of God. And I want to go through them. The first use means again. 
What could a wise old sage, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, coming to a young kickstart rabbi, remember, Jesus is probably only about 30 years old here. What in the world could a young rebel rabbi have to say to a wise old sage that he probably, in a worldly view, he should have been listening to instead of talking to? He says, you must be anothen. You must be born again. And it means, again, what Jesus wants Nicodemus to see is that despite his age, despite his status, despite his position, despite everything that he brought into the conversation, he needs a new beginning. Listen, for some of us, we've been doing this for so long and we bring so much to the table That it can get lost on us that to be born again means a new beginning, a fresh start, a new life. But it's coupled with the second meaning. The second use of anathen means from above. Jesus wants Nick to see that whatever this new life and new beginning was going to look like, it would have to come from a different source would have to come from above. It's using language that Nicodemus would have understood. He would have resonated with. He would have gone somewhere in his head. It was going to need to be located outside of himself. It was going to need to be something that he didn't have any control over. Again, and from above. But look at how Nicodemus responds. He's sarcastic. He's sarcastic. And why wouldn't you be right? Nicodemus says in verse four, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Fair question, but also probably unnecessary, right? Nicodemus is being sarcastic here. He's not he's not getting what Jesus is going for. Jesus is using this to move Nicodemus to think about his life in a different way. And it would be extremely difficult, wouldn't it? It would be extremely difficult for you and me if we were to really look at our life and say, does my life look like it was born again? Does my life look like I've been given a new beginning on life that comes from an entirely different source of life? Maybe not. Maybe not. So Nicodemus responds. St. Augustine, who we began our morning listening to, writing of Nicodemus in this moment in his commentary on John, so that Nicodemus's miss here was that he could only think in a carnal sense. He could only see, he could only feel what was right in front of him. My, how guilty are we of that? That I can only think about what's right here. About what's right in front of me. When Jesus says that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, he's inviting Nicodemus to think about an entirely new way of life that includes the Spirit of God. 
be reminded that Nicodemus here is a really sharp guy. He has a lot of education. He's extremely well educated and he's an extremely disciplined person. And those details matter because what Jesus is saying to him is those things do not get you into my kingdom. He isn't confused. He isn't stupid. In fact, I think he might have been playing more politics here than we even realize because Jesus had a lot to offer. Jesus clearly had some power that he could use, but don't you love that Jesus just ignores the sarcasm again? Keep reading in the story here. He goes on to say, Jesus answers. So Nicodemus, remember, says, can I go back into my mom? And Jesus in verse five, totally different answer. Unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He ignores him again. But something would have started to happen in Nicodemus's mind. He would have gone back to that Old Testament. Look at what Isaiah 44, 3 and 4 says. Because because what what happens here is we started out with cannot see the kingdom, right? Now we've moved to cannot enter the kingdom. And so it's really important because in Isaiah 44, 3 and 4, here's what Nicodemus's brain would have gone back to. God says this to his people, for I will pour out what? Water. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. What is water? I will pour out my what? Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall, they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. So you see the metaphor. Israel was like dry parched ground in need of a new beginning. It was dead. It was in need of water. It needed to be brought from life to death. God pouring out his spirit on them would be like water rushing into parched earth to bring new life out of what was dead. Ezekiel 36 would have been another thing that he thought about in verse 25 to 27 when God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So if you're like me, you immediately saw I need to be careful to obey his rules. That's not what it says, is it? So I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to put my spirit in you, which will cause you to walk in my rules. Critically important, right? And backwards for most of us. Look at what Jesus says in the rest of his answer. Verse six, he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, what he's saying is if you're just doing everything in your flesh, you're never going to produce the spirit. It's not possible. You can do some good things, but you're never going to produce God things. And God things are always bigger than good things. Do you believe that? Whatever you think is exponentially more, the Bible says that God can do immeasurably more than what you can ask or imagine. So you think what you're doing is big time. Imagine if God got involved. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, listen, you, you have all this figured out, but you actually have nothing figured out. Because Jesus would say stuff later in his ministry like, what's it matter if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Because this temporary moment means nothing in light of eternity. 
And yet we've been invited by God to join him in bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Look, he says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. But how many of you doubt that wind exists? <laughs> like we don't doubt that, right? We, don't, we know wind exists, even though you've never seen wind. You've seen the result of wind. You've seen the, come on somebody, the fruit of wind, right? The Greek word for spirit is wind. It's pneuma. It means spirit. It is wind. I can't see wind, but I know there's wind because I feel wind. I see the fruit of wind in the trees. I see the fruit of wind in my hurricane shutters. I see, the, I see wind everywhere. I don't doubt wind. Jesus says, don't, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't marvel that I said to you, you need a new beginning and a new source of life. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? Have you ever tried to explain what the Spirit of God is doing in your life? You sound like a crazy person. And it's awesome. Because the promise that God made to his people and what we've been looking at for this whole beginning part of John is that there is this offer to you and I that our life can be born again. That it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how much you know, it doesn't matter how much you don't know, it doesn't, doesn't, none of that matters. What matters is that you can come to Jesus and have your entire life born again. That you can have a new beginning right now. And what's Jesus say? The old passes away. I mean, that's good news for some of us. That's good news for all of us. I've done some things that I'm desperately, deeply ashamed of. And I bet you have. And nobody may know them. But what if Jesus came to you like he did Nicodemus and said, you know, I can see through you, man. I can see through you. Teacher, I can tell that you're from God. It's like, you need to be born again, bro. You're like, it's a little aggressive. It doesn't feel loving. <laughs> and what does it mean to love somebody? Tell them the truth. Nicodemus, you've, you've done all this stuff. God, look at me. I never knew you. That's a relational statement. If you're new to the Bible, that's something that Jesus talks about later in his ministry where these people come, these religious people come to him and he's talking about the throne room of heaven and they come and they tell God about all the things they've done and that wasn't what Jesus was looking for. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus isn't interested in what you can do he's interested in who you are and once you know who you are in him all the things will start to be done but the difference is you're going to love it you're not going to hate it you're not going to be 
distressed by it. Jesus says this is how it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And look what Nicodemus responds in verse 9. How can these things be? He doesn't have a category for laying down his life. He doesn't have a category for freedom. Right? Because what Jesus says, I came to set the captives free. And here he is in a room with Nicodemus at night. And he's telling Nicodemus, you think you have it all together, but you really need to be set free. You must be born again, Nicodemus. And I just wonder, like, as you sit here, what, would you be, would you look at your life and be like, man, I've got, I've got this all figured out. <laughs> we might say that. We might act like that. And some of you might have started to figure it out. But Jesus might look at you and say, no, 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 I'm not coming to you as a teacher today. I'm not coming here to teach you some new things. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you, Israel's teacher, have come to me, a teacher, seeking some good things, some lists, some doctrines, some miracles. And Jesus, of course, has a completely different Answer. He says, I'm not here to be your teacher. I'm here to be your savior. But Nick doesn't think he needs a savior. And the warning in this passage to you and I is that we could easily be in that place where we don't think we need a savior. And it's actually not that hard to get to. You just look at the fruit of your life. Does the fruit of your life show the wind of the spirit? I was talking to one of our elders yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, but was like, we were, he, he mentioned uh, about crisis. Like, who would you follow in crisis? Like, what a, what a great barometer, right? Like, what, what happens to you when crisis comes? Does the wind of the Spirit move or does the wind of Mitch move? Does the wind of you put your name there? Like, can we be real? Like, most of the time, the wind of me moves. What would it look like if there was a church, if there was, if there was a city group where everybody committed to surrender all that they are to the wind of the Spirit? What if, what if there was just a group, what if there was a church who would surrender to the Spirit of God? It, it's happening, it's happening all around the world. But, but I wonder... What would Redeemer City Church look like if every single person didn't surrender to their feelings, didn't surrender to their emotions, didn't surrender to their expertise, didn't surrender to their, you fill in the blank. I can fill it in for me. I know all the things, but I can't fill it in for you. If you're watching online, I can't fill it in for you, but I bet you can. Look at the rest of the story. Nicodemus says, God, how can these, Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answers them in verse 10. Are you the teacher of, Jesus gets down to business now. <laughs> he gets down to business. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, 
How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. He's claiming to be God. That would have made Nicodemus either break down in tears or get really upset. Nobody claims to be God in Jewish culture except for God. Verse 14, we're coming up on Good Friday. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which again, Nick would have known exactly what was being talked about. So must the son of man be lifted up. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the son of man being lifted up. To die for his people. Why? Verse 15. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Why would he do that? Look at it. Verse 16. You know this verse. Come on. For God so loved. You might have walked in here today and you've heard all the things I've said and you start to feel bad about yourself. Can I just encourage you in this moment? That maybe today you walked in here and all you need to hear is for God so loved you. He so loves you. He loves you to the point that he would send. He gave his only son. You know, that phrase for God so loved the world could also be translated differently. It could be translated for this is how God showed he loved the world. It's powerful. This is how God shows he loved the world that whoever. How many people are left out of whoever? Tell, talk to me. How many? Nobody's left out of whoever. I don't know how you grew up. And I I know like some of us, like we had all the religious answers figured out. And we're like, but predestination, that's there too. (laughs) That one's there, but so is whoever. So is, for God is not willing that, how many people should perish? How many? Anyone. God's not willing that anyone should perish, but that how many people would come to eternal life? Do you know somebody in your life that needs to come to eternal life? I do. And I haven't told him about Jesus. Shame on me. Not because I need more shame in my life, because I've got the answers. Nick had the answers and he wasn't doing anything with it. He was building his own kingdom. I wonder, are we building our own kingdom? When we have the kingdom. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? A lot of whys. I love these. Verse 17. For God did not. Somebody lift up your voice and say not. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some of you forgot it. Certainly popular Twitter culture forgot it. Oh, you didn't like that one? (laughs) Listen, the toilet bowl of humanity is in the comment section. Don't go there. Some of y'all lead like stuff on Facebook and YouTube and stuff like you know what I'm talking about. Turn those babies off at Redeemer City Church. (laughs) You have a question, you call me. Love to talk with you. And yet, it's not the toilet bowl of humanity, is it? You know what I respect about some of you is you engage those comments and you have conversations because what is our way forward? It's with each other, isn't it? 
So don't hear me wrong. I'm not railing against the comment section. I'm actually saying the comment section is probably where we need to spend more time. Does that make sense? You see, because what Nicodemus wasn't willing to do is what Jesus got blamed for doing, right? When the Pharisees got wind of Jesus, what did they say about him? Man, that guy eats with sinners. That guy hangs out with the down and out. That guy hangs out with those people. It's because he loved them. Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Evil's real, y'all. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Listen, Jesus sends his spirit into our soul to wash us and renew us and rebirth something different in us. Something new, not a cleaned up version of us, but him in us. A new life entirely where we care about the things that Jesus cares about. I wonder if that's what we're experiencing or if there's something more if we would walk with him. I'm so convicted by this. I don't know if you can tell the past few weeks. <laughs> I think there's more to walking with the spirit than what we're experiencing in our secular moment. I think it's there. It's like the wind. I know it's there. And I want to invite you to search for God with all your heart. Because the scripture says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. He's there. But what is what does that kind of community look like? Because I think that's at the end of the day, like what what does that mean for a group of people who want to chase that together? What does that look like for a church? Eugene Peterson paints a beautiful picture of what Christian community really is. And I want to read it to you. It'll be on the screens. It's kind of long, but I think it'll speak to your heart. Certainly did mine. Here's what he said. He said, learning how to live as the community of Christ is largely a matter of becoming familiar with and disciplined to the means by which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work formationally among us. How are those three, God in one, forming us? How do they do that? Namely, by the Holy Spirit from God's side and prayerful obedience from ours. By hospitably including the unwanted outsiders of the world into the community. And by cultivating, here it is, a detachment from the world's insiders and their ways. Especially as these ways are exemplified in the leaders and celebrities. The community of Jesus betrays its master far more often and damagingly by the way it speaks and acts rather than by anything it ever says or does. Anger and arrogance, violence and manipulation rank far higher than theological error or moral lapses in desecrating the holy resurrection community. 
And then he says this, so unhindered. He's speaking about one of the words in scripture, unhindered. This is a remarkable and memorable last word that Luke used to characterize Paul and by extension the Jesus community. And it is timely for the Jesus community, which is constantly tempted to use the world's means, follow this, to use the world's means to do Jesus' work unhindered, content and relaxed. Do you, is that your experience when you gather with God's people? Practiced and discerning in living the Jesus life in the Jesus way. Living a congruence between the resurrection reality, born again, and the means by which we give witness and live obediently in it. Can I say it to you this way? Grace isn't opposed to effort. Don't hear me say that there's nothing to do. There's a lot to do. And there's a lot we get to do and be a part of. And we're going to offer more of that to do in the coming months. Grace is not opposed to effort. You know what grace is opposed to? Earning. Grace is not opposed to your effort, but it is opposed to your earning. It says that for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave us his son. That effort is way different when it's produced by God's spirit working in you. It looks like figuring out who you are and who God's made you to be and then putting it into work into the kingdom. What does it look like for you to take the way God's wired you and use it to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? What does that look like? I'll give my life to that. It looks like the vision of our church to share the liberating power of the gospel. What more does somebody need than to know that they can be free? Free and light. Some things are so simple they feel complex, doesn't it? <laughs> It's so simple, it's like, ugh. There's an old children's song from when I was growing up in Sunday school. Every now and then, you know, i got to bring a kid's song to you. Because sometimes they just get it right, right? I, I was thinking about this this morning. And it goes like this. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. And you will grow, grow, grow. Listen, sometimes it's so simple, it's complex. What does it look like for you to return to the disciplines that lead you to life? We can't have a relationship with somebody that we never see. We can't have a relationship with somebody that we never hear from. We can't have a relationship with somebody that we never talk to. You picking up what I'm laying down? The Christian community does the Jesus life in the Jesus way. But that involves a lot of letting go of the world's way. Because we cannot do the Jesus life the world's way. Amen? You must be born again. There has to be a new beginning and an entirely new source of life. Why don't you stand with me as we get ready to sing one more song. I want to encourage you. In that moment, you know, it's one thing to hear that. 
But today, you can actually have that new beginning. Whether you've been in church your entire life or whether this is the first time you've ever been in church. And maybe for some of us, we've been in church for a long time and we've done the church thing for a long time. But maybe you're like Nicodemus and you're like, man, I come and I sit here. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what this thing's all about. No, I'm supposed to. It's not doing anything. Today's a great day for you to start a new life. It won't change what most of your life looks like, but it'll change what all that stuff means to you. The Bible makes it really clear, like, it's, it's a simple confession. It's confessing, we sang it earlier, it's confessing that Jesus is Lord. And believing... That that first Good Friday Easter that Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God because he loves us. Because he so loved you that he gave his son so that you could walk in the light. So you could have life. As John 3 said, that light was the light of men. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he's available. So I just want to take a minute to pray. To pray with you. But I'm also not naive enough to know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you've probably got some stuff. Every one of us walked in here with some stuff. And so, if there's anything that you should be able to do at church, you should be able to pray. So I want to take just a minute... And let you pray. If we don't have time to pray, we have nothing. It's the thing. (laughs) And I also want to encourage you to pray with somebody near you. I know it's awkward. But it shouldn't be. You can grab your spouse. Grab a friend. Jerome and I will be up here. Pastor Tim will be at the back. Some of our elders are floating around. We want to pray with you. Listen, that's the thing we have. We have the Word. And we have the Spirit. If you're not a Christian today, I want to invite you into the family. There's no magic way to do it. It's confessing that Jesus is Lord. Believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says you'll be saved. Be adopted into the family, as Paul says in Romans. We would love to celebrate that with you. If you want to talk about that, I would love to meet you, walk you through that. If you're online, send me an email. It's pretty easy. It's just mitch at redeemertampa.com. Love to chat with you. Walk you into a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to pray. And while I do, can I just encourage you to find somebody near you to pray? While the music plays, like right now, go ahead. Find somebody to pray with. If you don't know how to pray, that's okay. That's why Jesus said it's faith like a child. You just talk to him. There's no magic way to pray. Jerome will be up here if you want to pray with somebody. Let's just take a minute and a half. Let's pray. And then I'll close us.